Um, last Sunday, we, we spent some time looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, we talk about the, the return of Christ, the rapture. Uh, we talk about the, um, the great, the awesome reunion that we will have as Christians. You know, where we'll meet with God in the clouds, in the air. So that's what we talked about last Sunday. If you missed last week, or you missed the last couple of weeks, I hope you go online, catch up. All the sermons are online, and you can follow along. Now, I, you know, I'm going to take off my preaching hat off for a few minutes. I'm going to put on my teacher hat. I'm going to do some little bit of teaching, and then we'll take that off and put my, you know, my preaching hat back on, okay? Y'all good with that? All right, and so I'm going to pull out some, you know, I got some visuals. I'm a, this, is, this is a teacher's mindset right here, teacher's mindset. I'm going to pull out some visuals here, and I want to help us out here again with the, with some, um, with the timeline of what I believe is how it will unfold um, in the end time. And so I'm going to get all this set up here, and, and let's see here. Uh, make sure I got it all in the right spot. Y'all doing okay today? There we go. That's good. That's what, that's what I want to hear. And um, uh, all right, I'm going to put these aside here, and um, we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But let's, 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 let's start here in the beginning. Last week, we kind of unfolded this, and this is the, the beginning of the church age where the resurrection of Jesus happened, all right? So Jesus came, he died, was buried, and he rose again. And so the next event in the church calendar um, is this event called the rapture. We talked about that last Sunday, the rapture. The Greek word is harpazo, to be taken away. If you are dead and you're buried, the trump will sound, the, the loud command will shout out, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are still alive, if we're privileged, if we're still alive, when we hear that trumpet, and uh, you will be raptured. The dead will rise first, and those who are alive will, will catch up with those who've been dead for a while, the rapture, so that will be going up, all right? And we will meet the Lord in the air. And then I've got the next major point in this um, outline, and that's just the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ. There's the period here that I believe, we'll talk about that in just a minute, but there's is the second coming of Christ. And after the second coming of Christ, there's, a, there's a, a, a long segment called the millennial, the millennial kingdom, the millennium reign. Millennium means a thousand years. So there'll be a thousand years um, where Christ is king, where Christ is in, is in charge, one government, there's worldwide peace, no more wars. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And then at the end of this, the next major event is new heaven, new earth, eternity. All right, and so we're going to kind of unpack this, and, and again, this might be, I got my teaching hat on, so if you don't take it all in, that's okay, we'll, we'll, we'll keep working through this, next, you know, when I get back, when I return in a couple of weeks, okay, <laughs> and um, no pun intended. All right, so anyway, um, and so let, let, let's go back here. So we got resurrection, we got the church age, and then we have the rapture. Now, remember last Sunday we talked about different views, and, 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 and to be honest with you, there's um, no one's 100% any of the views. Um, I have strong belief 
that the, the tribulation will take place, there's a seven-year tribulation that will take place right after the rapture. Our tribulation is seven years. It's seven literal years, and that's what I grew up on. And, 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 more, and as, I, as I continue to study, even in the past couple of weeks, the stronger my position is a little bit on this. However, I got great friends that believe in a mid-trib, you know, uh, rapture. In other words, they believe that the tribulation for the first three and a half years, and if you're alive as a Christian, you're, you're in that first three and a half years, and then, the, and then in the middle is the rapture, and, and then we're taken out, and, the, and we miss the second half of the, of the tribulation. I don't know a lot of people that had the mid-trib um, viewpoint, but there are some that are out there. And then there's the post-trib, pre-trib, mid-trib, and the post-trib is, is, is those who believe that the tribulation is happening right now, that we, in the, the church age, just seven years is a, it's not, it's a figurative word, it's a figurative term, and instead of seven years, it, it, you know, it's what we're in right now. And, and so they look at, you know, hey, think about the major events in history, and they all add to those, you know, uh, trials and, and tough times, and, uh, and then there's wonderful times of peace and prosperity, and then wars and rumors of wars and, and famine and, 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 and um, you know, calamities, you know, tsunamis, earthquakes, hurricanes, you know, and so they, they're arguments. And, uh, and in fact, I've got several good friends. They tend to lean on the post-trib, um, in a post-trib rapture. Uh, they believe that we'll go through this, and at the end of the tribulation, it's the rapture. Now, however, let me just say this. The timeline changed just a little bit. If you're a post-trib person, you're in here, and you believe in a post-trib, that we're in it right now, and then the rapture happens, which is the next main event in our, in our, in our future timeline, then what happens if you're a post-trib person, that's the big word, if you're a post-trib person, the second coming of Christ overlaps, and this is all one event. You follow me? All right, and then everything else would unfold that we're going to talk about in the next few minutes. So if you're a pre-trib guy, and you're more like me, and you think, hey, that's it, I'm right here. All right? I, I believe there's a seven-year period. If you're not, you're over here. You know, or maybe you're here, or maybe we talked about last week, a pan-trib. You said, Scott, I don't know, but however it pans out, <laughs> however it pans out, Jesus is coming back, and, and, the, and the tribulation will happen whenever it does, okay? And, and I get that. That's fine. And sometimes, sometimes, to be honest with you, I lean there too. You know, the more you study, the more you try to study and understand the scripture, you know, you're trying to unpack it. But the rapture happened. Alexis, in this timeline, play with the pre-trib mindset, okay? Just for, you know, where we're at. And it's just going to help us understand if you're post-trib, just understand it's a little bit different, but it still will unfold the rest of it, all right? So got, let's just say we've got the seven-year tribulation. Now, what happens in seven-year tribulation? So I've got my teacher's hat on. Uh, tribulation, number one, we know that there's going to be great, uh, great trials. I mean, that's what tribulations mean. There's going to be a lot of bad stuff that can be unfolded here. Uh, to what I understand, the things that we've never seen before, it's going to be so bad. We think we've seen bad. I believe the seven-year tribulations get worse. All right? And so there's seven years of tribulations. However, 
There is a second cool thing, though, not first one's not cool, but the second thing that is kind of cool is people can get saved during the tribulation. People can become Christian. So what's going to happen? People are going to Google search, where is everybody? <laughs> or what's going to show up? They're going to see Simon, like maybe this Simon right here. They're going to see Simon that's been preached on this, and there's going to be books that's been talked about this, and people's eyes, or there may be, let's just say, you're here today, and you never had this in your life, and the rapture happens tomorrow. You know, probably, and I would hope, that maybe agenda number one, after you see, oh, this just happened, I need to get saved, <laughs> you know? You can get saved during the seven-year tribulation. And in fact, the Bible says that during the tribulation, we'll have a revival. There will actually be a time of revival going on in the seven-year tribulation. And then there's a the third thing that will happen in the seven-year tribulation, is that there will be great persecution. Great persecution will happen during this time period. So, you know, whether you're pre-trib, tribulation, or post-trib, if you believe all that, you say, all those things are happening right here in the, you know, in the church age. Okay, I see your point. You understand the struggle there. But let's kind of work with that. The tribulation, people can get saved. And then, I believe, at the end of seven years, Jesus comes back and he comes back physically to the earth. The first one, he doesn't come back to the earth, the way I see it. He comes back in the clouds. We meet him in the air, and we go up to heaven from there. Right here, he comes all the way down with the saints, and he begins a thousand-year reign. And, and, and the saints are all the Old Testament saints. They will be here. Are the church, if those who are in Christ, when we get raptured up, will be here, will come back. All those who were saved during the tribulation, they will be here. You know, let's just say, hey, but what if, what if I die during the tribulation? In Revelation chapter 20, I believe, it talks about those who died during the tribulation will be resurrected and be in the millennial kingdom. And we will serve Jesus, this will be the best, this will be the golden age. In fact, the Bible talks about King David restoring the seed of David, and David will be a prince. I mean, this is going to be awesome. I mean, this is unbelievable, and I don't think a mind can really comprehend what's going to happen here. But there's going to be, you know, a, a, a peace and prosperity, no wars, and, and, and for a thousand years. Now, however... I understand this. That there's an undercurrent. There will be people in the millennial kingdom, maybe they're left over from the tribulations, or maybe, hey, listen, procreation can still happen here. So children getting born, and they don't want to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They recognize him as Jesus as king because he is running the kingdom of the world. It's here. You know, but they don't know Jesus as their Savior. In fact, secretly they rebel him. During this thousand-year reign, at the end of the tribulation, you know, in Jesus' second coming, he takes Satan and his dominion and, and, and bound them for a thousand years. Uh, so, but sin can still happen because of the lust of the flesh. That's still happening. You know, and that's still going on. But then at the end of a thousand years, right at the end of this millennial kingdom, Jesus will release Satan and his demons for a short season. 
that those who are in the undercurrent will rise up with Satan and his army, and there'll be one last rebellion right here at the end of this, of this period. And that last standoff is called the Battle of Armageddon. And that will take place. We know in, the, in prophecies that the, who's going to win. We know that Jesus is going to win. And then there's going to be one little other event, and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. And so anyway, uh, that might be a little bit of information overload. Y'all good with me? You said, oh, okay, okay, all right. I'm going to take off my teacher hat off a little bit. Let's get to preaching, all right? All right, so we're, gonna, we're going to talk about today two judgments. And I'm going to fit those judgments in here in the timeline and help you understand where they're at. And then we're going to talk about uh, what will heaven be like. Take a few minutes to talk about that. I want to look at the foundation of our, of our message today, the book of Revelation, the last chapter, chapter 22, the words of Jesus in verse number 12. Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. And what's going to be with Jesus when he comes back? Notice here. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, if you're new to Christianity, let me be very clear that we're not qualified for heaven by how good we are. The truth is, is that we're all, every one of us, we're all sinners, and the only way that we're made right with God is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Plus nothing, minus nothing. We're forgiven by Jesus. Now, for those who are Christians, you're a follower of Christ, it's important for you to know that although your works do not qualify you for heaven, the way you live, the way you live determines how you will be rewarded in heaven. Let me say that again. For those who are Christians, the way you live on earth will determine how you are rewarded in heaven. Y'all with me so far? Yeah, okay. Y'all with me so far? Yeah, there we go. All right, all right, good, good. Uh, all right, let, let, me, let me say this. A preacher, a pastor, and, and a taxi cab driver, they both died at the same time. They're both Christians. They all showed up at the, you know, at the pearly gate. Well, St. Peter was standing right there at the pearly gate. And, and St. Peter looked at them and said, hey, guys, welcome. You know, we, we, we've been expecting you. And they looked at the pastor first. It's the pastor. We're so glad you're here. We have a three-bedroom, two-bath house with a nice white fence in the backyard, you know, designed with your name on it. It's all for you. And the pastor's like, okay, cool, awesome. And then, and, and, and then St. Peter looked at, um, you know, he looked at the taxi cab driver. And he said, for you, on this side of heaven, we have a seven-bedroom mansion with a lovely swimming pool in the back overlooking the seventh hole at the Heavenly Green Country Club. Just for you, taxi cab driver. And, and the pastor said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold up, hold up. 
I mean, I have Jove, God, my, I mean, listen, St. Peter, I'm glad I'm here. I really am. I have served God my entire life. And, and I get the, the little how. And the taxi cab driver, he got the mansion right next to the golf course. Well, what's going on here? And St. Peter looked at him and said, yeah, you're right. You know, you have served God all your life, but remember, we, you know, God judged you for your result on earth. And just to be honest with you, Pastor, you know, when you preach, people fell asleep. The taxi cab driver, when he drove, people prayed. Well, that's not exactly the way it's going to happen. You need to know that, okay? St. Peter won't be there welcoming you, but listen, here's the point. The way you live, the way you live on earth, determines how you are rewarded in heaven. Now, what would the judgment be like? There are two of them. Here's the first one, if you're taking notes. It's the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. Now, what is it? And when will it take place? Let's start where it takes place. A lot of Bible scholars believe, and I agree, um, and you see this a little bit in Luke chapter 14, right there at the end of that chapter, in Luke chapter 14, that a lot of them believe, a lot of people believe that the judgment of the seat of Christ will happen, will take place immediately after the rapture. The rapture. Whether you're post-trip, pre-trip, whatever, you know, Whenever, whenever the rapture happens, right after, it's the judgment seat of Christ. Now, in the pre-trib guide, in the, in the pre-trib time, timeline, you know, the tribulation is happening at the same time the judgment seat of Christ is happening up in the sky. All right, now what is it? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10. The Bible says, and by the way, it's Corinthians, Paul's writing it to believers, to Christians. So he says in verse number 10, for we, he's talking to the Christians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now I believe, and many scholars believe this, that the judgment seat of Christ, only Christians will be at this judgment. Only Christians. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you show up at the judgment seat of Christ, that's a good thing. All right, you're, you're where you're supposed to be. Here, here's the deal. You say, well, Scott, what are we being judged on? Am I being judged for my salvation? No. We've already been saved. That's already been settled. That's been, that's been taken care of. We have put our faith in Jesus Christ. The matter has been settled. Our account has been settled with God already. Uh, we did that already. So in the judgment seat of Christ, we're not judged for our salvation. We're judged on how we live as Christians. In fact, uh, we see this, the word judgment seat in the Bible. It's actually the Greek term, the Greek word bima. Bema. In fact, in, the, in, the, in ancient history, you would see the word bema seat, which means a platform or steps. And this is where a judge would sit down and, and would sit on a bema seat 
and it will settle the account. And now we also see this in the Grecian games. Of course, this was the time period where Grecian games and Corinth was in the heart of Greek. And, and, and the judge would sit on the, on the bema seat, on this elevated platform, and he would hand out the awards for the, for the different games that were played. He would hand out uh, crowns, or, or in, in, in this time period, a wreath. And we'll place wreath for the first place, and for the second place, and for the third place, uh, for, the, for those that, that won uh, those games. And, and, and that was what the judge would do. Now, how will you and I be rewarded at the Bema seat or the judgment seat? Now, remember, the Lord Jesus will be sitting on the throne, and he will reward us in many different ways. We don't know how many different rewards there are. There could be dozens, there could be hundreds, there could be thousands. Now, we know for sure, and the Bible talks about five different crowns. We know for sure that that's happening. In your handout note, I list those five crowns, and I put the verses on them. We're not going to go over the verses here for sake of time. But your verses are there for you to look at for, on your own time. But let me look at the five crowns real quick. The judgment seat of Christ will be, you know, people will be rewarded. The first crown is the incorruptible crown. Incorruptible crown. This is for those who run a faithful race, believers who are faithfully serving God, devoted to Christ and righteous living. Not perfect, because nobody's perfect. But man, we, we, <laughs> we, when we fall, we get back up and we keep living for Jesus. We keep living for Jesus. We keep living for Jesus. Righteous living, the incorruptible crown. There's the crown of rejoicing at the judgment seat of Christ. It's a, these are for those who share their faith. These are for those who are inviting people to church all the time. This is for those who are, uh, who are a light in the office or a light in the factory or you're a light in the gym. You're a light in your neighborhood. You're constantly telling people about Jesus. There's a crown of righteousness. There's also the crown of, I'm sorry, that was the crown of rejoicing. There's the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness. These are what we talked about last week. Those who long for the coming of Jesus. Last Sunday, we used the word Maranatha. He's coming back. He's coming back. You, you, you can't wait. You look forward to his return. There's also the crown of glory. The crown of glory for faithful pastors, missionaries, you know, um, you know people that serve in Jesus, they're giving their life to serve Jesus in their calling, in their full-time ministry. I don't know what that might be, what the, what the line is. Maybe it's part-time, bivocational, but they're serving Jesus you know, with their life. That's the crown of glory. And they're faithfully serving the flock. They're not in it, you know, it's not pastors who's in it for their own ego, for their own power. They're not in it for the money. They're in it because they love the people of God. They love the shepherdess flock. That's the crown of glory. And finally, there's the crown of life. And if you've ever suffered on Christ's behalf, you've been martyred, or those who endure great hardship for Christ, there's a crown for those who are given for those who suffer uh, for the glory of Christ. Now, you might be thinking, well, hey, I'm going to go to heaven, and, and Jesus is going to give me all this crown, and, and, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make sure I got my wheelbarrow. And I'm going to make sure I got my wagon, because I'm going to have so many crowns, and I'm going to be walking around, you know, on the golden streets of heaven, showing off how awesome I am, and I see someone that, you know, maybe got one or two crowns, and I'm going to be like, hey, man, 
you know, you, you really want to cut enough to muster like I was. If you think that's going to happen, that is not going to happen. Because here's what's going to happen. You see, in Revelation chapter uh, 4, the 24 elders, and we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, about the 24 elders. But the 24 elders, the Bible said that when they receive their crown, you know what they did? They placed it. They took their crowns, and they placed it at the feet of Jesus. They said, man, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. But none of us will be, none of us will feel that way either. None of us will be like, man, I'm not worthy. We're going to feel that way. Because the one who had the nail-scarred hands and the nail-scarred feet, the one who wore a crown of thorn for you, and we're going to look at the one who gave it all. And we're going to look at him and say, I don't deserve any of this. And you deserve my everything. And we're going to take the crown that we got. And we're going to worship him by placing our crowns at his feet. Hit the sober and thought, will you have crowns? After the judgment, will you have crowns that you're able to place at the feet of Jesus? It all depends on how you live the Christian life while you're here on earth. I pray that we will live with the motivation that I want to be able to place something at the feet of Jesus. He says, God, what if I don't? Does that mean I have to go back down to tribulation? Do not collect, you know, do not pass go, do not collect $200, go straight down to hell, or go straight down to tribulation? Is that what happens if I don't have any crowns? No. You're still saved. You just don't have anything to express your love at that moment by casting your crowns at Jesus' feet. And so, heaven. Let's talk about heaven for just a minute. People ask me all the time, what's heaven like? Won't we be bored in heaven, Scott? Are we going to just kind of sit around and watch naked babies play harps on the cloud all day? I mean, what, what, what's heaven all about? What, what is it? What is it? But John had a vision of this in Revelation 21. And I'm going to show you three specific descriptions based on Revelation 21 of what heaven will be like. Number one, God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. Look at verse 1. I saw a new heaven, and I saw a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer in the sea. So what happened? So God establishes and creates a brand new earth without the curse of sin. Without the curse of sin. Many scholars believe that whatever you enjoyed on earth, you're going to be able to enjoy it on a new earth and on a new heaven. And the only difference is that you won't be under the curse of sin. It'll be just like in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were able to walk with the Lord in the cool of the day, a paradise, uninterrupted, uninterrupted by sin. And so whatever, so whatever you love on earth, whatever your favorite moment on earth, I believe that heaven will be indescribably better than your greatest moment on earth. 
I want you to think about your favorite place for just a minute. Think about the favorite place where you like to go. For, for Karen, you know, she's not in here, but she loves the beach. And that's, what, that's where we're going this week. You know, she'll see the beach. You know, um, I like the beach, but she loves the beach. You know, now for me, I, I love the West. Last summer we went to Wyoming, and I spent some time in the National Park at Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons. Here's a picture of the Grand Tetons. Now for me, I could just sit here all day. You know, read a good book, watch a buffalo run in front of me maybe, you know, or a moose or an elk and just take it all in. I mean, to me, this is, to me, this is heaven on earth. You know, for her, a beach on earth, you know, it, it, a beach is heaven on earth. This is heaven on earth for me. Think about the greatest moment. Think about your favorite place. Think about, think about that ad that you see a lot on TV or on YouTube or whatever, and, and it, it promoting that, that destination vacation, that dream vacation. Oh, man, that looks like it's so much fun. Look at this next verse. Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Whatever you're thinking, whatever your greatest moment, your favorite place, God's saying, listen, heaven is going to blow it out of the water, and it's going to be awesome. Here's the second thing. You will never suffer again. You will never Suffer again. Look at verse 1 again. Right at the end of that verse. The Bible says that John saw that there was no longer an sea. And I always thought that was interesting. In the vision, he had to highlight that there were no more seas. Now, you've got to imagine John was on the middle of an island in prison in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And the way he saw the water all around him was like prison bars. There was no escape. He was separated from his family and loved ones. As you look out in the Mediterranean Sea with no end in sight, you know, he thought of mysteries and the unknown. He thought of the, the unpredictableness of the weather, good days and bad days. And I think it's interesting to me that that John said, hey, in this new heaven and new earth, no more sea, no more mystery, no more unknown, no more unpredictableness in the economy or life or health or any of that, no more separation, no more of that. Now, if you're a beach person, this is a bad idea for you maybe, you know, for my wife, this is terrible, right, you know. He said, well, God, there's going to be at least a lake for me to go fishing in? That's what Danny DeVerne would ask me, you know. <laughs> yes, there will be, I'm sure there could be a lake. The, the, the river of God flowing from his throne. I mean, there's going to be, it's going to be amazing, okay? So don't, you know, but no more sea. No more unknown. And then he said in, verse, uh, in verses uh, 4 and 5, he will wipe, God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. No more sorrow. There will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain, for the old order of things had passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. God will wipe away all tears. No more suffering. No more pain. 
that the world that we're in, the pain that we experience, will be gone. Isn't that awesome? Number three, you will live with God forever. You will live with God forever. This is the way it's described in Scripture in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. This, is fact, this statement right here is the 20th time that it's used in Revelation, and it's also the final time that we see this. And here's the phrase, verse number three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne. 20 times we see that in Revelation. This is the last time. One commentary said it like this. Because this is the last time, then this is the most important announcement from God in all of Revelation. And here's the announcement. Look, check this out. The look. God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. As for some of you, you read that, and you're like, okay, cool. Let, let me say it like this. The final declaration from God is that God was saying, finally, it's done. I created this world way back then, in the beginning, to be a world in perfect fellowship with me. And sin broke it. And yes, Jesus came so that we can restore creation. And one day there's going to be a time when it all will be put together again. And I will be able to walk with my people. I will be able to walk without fear, without, you know, because after the fall of man, no one could look at God in the face. But here, we'll be able to be held in his glory face to face because everything will be restored. Everything will be restored. Well, I want to finish up here. This is wonderful. As a Christian, listen, if you're a believer in Christ, we've got nothing to be afraid of. We need to understand, and here's the problem, is that most people today believe that heaven is the final destination. And I need to tell you clearly that it's not. Hell is actually the final, it's actually the default destination. Default destination. Most people believe, hey, we're pretty good people, we're doing the best we can, we're all going to heaven. Jesus said something very sobering in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. He said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many is walking through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. See, the tragedy, the tragedy is that so many people believe that heaven is the default destination. When the reality is that there's a lot of people walking on a broad road, on a broad path that leads to the true default destination, and that is hell. That's where it's headed. People are headed to hell without Jesus. And so we talk about the first judgment. Let's talk about the final judgment. That's the great white throne judgment. What will happen after the end of the millennial kingdom 
after Dayton has been defeated at the Battle of Armageddon, all those who don't know Jesus will be at this great white throne. If you are in Christ, this is a judgment that you will not attend. You won't be there. The Bible says about this great judgment, great white throne judgment, John said it like this, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and 12. He said, then, he said, then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. In other words, the significant, important people and the insignificant, non-important people throughout the history. They will all be at the great white throne judgment. And they would stand, the Bible said, they would stand before the throne. And the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as, as recorded in the book. And here's the important part, verse 15. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. If anyone's sin were not covered by Christ, if anyone had not called on the grace of God, if anyone was judged by their works alone and not by the perfect work of Jesus on the cross, if their name was not found in the book of life, the Bible says that they were thrown, that they will be thrown into the lake of fire. See, that is the default destination, my friend. Oh, some of you say, well, Scott, that doesn't sound fair. I thought God was love. Oh, God is love. But God is also just. He's a just God. The story, as I close, about a man who's out fishing by himself, had some type of boating accident, fell out of the boat, and was drowned. Another boater saw him, you know, in trouble, got to him as fast as he could, and at the risk of his own life, jumped in the water and saved that man. Years, years later, the man that was almost died, that had almost drowned, was charged with a serious crime. He was sitting in the courthouse with his lawyer waiting for the judge to arrive and the bailiff had everyone rise up and the judge come walking in. The man who had years ago had almost died, almost drowned, noticed the judge, recognized the judge that it was the guy that saved his life. So the accused criminal thought, oh man, I've got, I, got, I got me an in. I got me an in with the guy. This guy saved my life. I hope he recognized me. And it was really kind of exciting. He thought, man, I've got me a chance here to get out of this mess. The opening statement were made. And, 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 and the guy said, hey, judge, you remember me? And the judge looked at him and said, yeah. I do. The man said, I'm the guy. I'm the guy who saved my life. I'm the guy that almost drowned. You saved my life, remember? And the judge responded back to the accused criminal. He said, yes. Yes, I do remember. I was your savior on that day. But now, I am your judge. 
and I will judge according to the law. You see, my friend, the Lord Jesus, he wants to be your Savior. He loves you so much, he died on the cross for your sins. He would like for you, if you have never asked him to come into your life, ever asked him to come into your life, he would love for you to accept him today and accept him to be your Lord and your Savior. But hear me. Hear me well. If we don't do it now, if it's too late, you die in your sin without Jesus. You will not see him as a Savior later on. You will see him as a judge. And he'll be a righteous judge. A fair judge. And a just judge. He gave you your chance. And here, it'll be too late. My friend, what does this message do for you? Well, I hope you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, number one. Number two, I pray that you live your life in a way that you earn crowns so that you can give it at the feet of Jesus. Or maybe you know someone that you love and say, I, I got I to gotta open my mouth. I need to invite them to Jesus. I need to, I need to share my faith before it's too late. I pray that God will work in your heart this week, whatever that is. I pray, listen, as Christian, it is well in my soul. But does it mean that we sit back and relax and do nothing? Life is short. And eternity is forever long. Heaven is real, but so is hell. Our God, we ask you to help us today. God, I knew there was a lot to un unpack. A lot of information. God, I pray that you help us at the end of the day to help us to be ready. You're coming back. You're coming back. And if there's someone here today that don't have a relationship with you, God, I pray that today there is no shame to have a conversation with someone. I pray that that person would talk to somebody, talk to me, talk to one of our prayer team, one of our staff. Let's get eternity settled. Let's get this settled with you. Now God, maybe we're Christians. Maybe we're here with it. We're a follower of Jesus, but we're not living for it. God, I pray that we live our life in a way that will bring honor and glory to you so that at the end of the judgment seat of Christ, we can cast our crowns and lay them at your feet. Oh, what a day that will be. And my Jesus, I shall see. In Jesus' name, amen.